This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. All right, let's, uh, let's go to our first, uh, first guest of this second hour, and it's the legendary David Hall, and uh, you know what's happening. We're standing as one. It's another standing ovation. Uh, this man was a gold medalist in the Paralympics, four-time Paralympian, to be, uh, uh, to be exact. And uh, David Hall joins us again this morning. Uh, David, wow, what a week in tennis. I thought the Canadian was going to knock over Medvedev on Thursday night. Ash Barty through to the final. I think it's the first time in about four decades we've got an Aussie woman in the final. And just can't wait for tonight. And, of course, mate, the doubles as well. Uh, how have you enjoyed the last week? Well, that, that is the absolute crazy thing, that there's just been so many storylines, you know, just within the last seven days. I mean, you look at the doubles uh, with the, the Kokonakis and Kyrgios up against Ebden and, and Max Purcell, the Coastie. Uh, it, it's just, it's incredible. I mean, Max turned pro uh, when he was 18. He's been out on tour for five years. He's spent a lot of time up in Terrigal and working in Wild with uh, with Nathan Healy, uh, it's but he's just he's grinded it out, and I think as as Australians, you know that's what we love. We love a grinder, and he's had you know, more success in doubles than he has in singles. But Max, you know, Max is a character. Uh, he did. I remember he told the ATP Tour website that uh, his worst qual- quality was the size of his nose. Uh, which I thought was hilarious. But, <laughs> <laughs> so, and even I was watching the press conference that the boys did uh, after they won their doubles uh, semi, that they were, they were kind of, him and Ebden were kind of getting back and forth into it with, with one, one of the journalists. And I think one of the journalists was trying to bait him. He was trying to bring up, interestingly, a cricket analogy with who in this final between Kokonakis and Kyrgios and, and you guys will be Australia and who will be Australia A. So he was really trying to bait him as to who's going to be the underdog. And I think, you know, Purcell's got a, he's got a bit of an edge to him. And I, and I think he kind of jokes, well, that's kind of the silliest question of all time. And I think it's, there's a really interesting dynamic here because you've got almost like the popular, exciting boy band that is Kokonakis and Curios, And then you've got the, the under-the-radar, workman-like team of, of Ebden and, and, and Max Purcell. So that's going to be an interesting uh, doubles final. But, yeah, that's just one of many storylines the last seven days. Yeah, I tell you, and all week, Kyrgios has upset people. There was almost a skirmish back in the change rooms. And uh, Adam back at headquarters has got some audio. This is what the Kiwi player had to say after facing Kyrgios. His maturity level is about... It's probably being generous to a 10-year-old to say that it's about at that level. You know, there'll always be his supporters, and he'll always spin it in a way that that helps him. But, uh, you know, at the end of the day, he's just an absolute knob. Yeah, so uh, great stuff. Uh, that's Michael <laughs> Venus, by the way. Uh, what are your What are your thoughts, David, of uh, Kyrgios this week? Everyone that's come across him, uh, 
has, uh, hasn't been too flattering. I, I think one of the comments was, enjoy the flight home to Europe, boys, uh, you know. Uh, but let's look at bums on seats, the biggest crowds for doubles that we've yeah. ever seen. Well, that's the thing, isn't it? Like, it's uh, whenever you get athletes that are polarising, you get uh, the public that either love them or hate them. And you're exactly right, Steve. Like, it does, it puts bums on seats. And I think maybe there's a percentage of the crowd that wants to see Kyrgios lose uh, because they don't like his antics. And, I mean, look, I'm sure if you talk to Nuke or, you know, Kenny Rosewall or Fiery Fred Stolly, you know, those guys were more along the, you know, we leave it all out out on the court, we'll go and have a beer, but we'll kind of keep it at a certain level, you know, the drama. Um, And, yeah, there is a respect issue there. I think in the locker room, if you don't respect your fellow players, I think that is a problem. But it just seems that, you know, whenever Kyrgios gets in front of a microphone and he always has something to say, look, which is great for the media and probably great to get bums on seats and, and to get viewers uh, on the TV. But I think in the locker room, that's where you really see the division. Hey, David, I'm going to ask you about Ash Barty in a moment, but just an observation from the country cricket. I reckon Patterson is putting the thunder on here. He's bowling from the southern end, but the wicketkeeper's around about 20 metres back behind the stumps. I think Patterson's really uh, laying down some 130-plus overs here. Yeah, look, he's bowling uh, He's bowling quite well here. He's uh, probably he's bowling into the wind. He was whinging yesterday that he had to bowl into the wind and up. up. So he's just sort of, you know, he's, he's coming there. It looks like he's lengthened his run-up a little bit also. So he's, I think he's leaving nothing yeah, behind you, right? Looks like the Dennis Lilly run-up to me. And here he comes in again, steaming in from the southern end. Uh, it's blocked and they thought about a run, but uh, no run there. So uh, great stuff from the Central Coast team. They've already taken one wicket, taken by Scotty Birkinshaw at the country championships. All right, David Hall. The Barty Party up against the number 27 seed in the world, Danielle Collins from the USA. Oh, the pressure will be enormous for Ash. Like this is, I mean, we are talking about not only her own career, but she is essentially playing for history, like being the first Australian uh, to win the women's singles in 44 years. I mean, that is a long time. But look, Ash, she hasn't blinked in two weeks. She hasn't lost a set. In fact, no set that she's played has even gone close to a tiebreaker. She's just been dominating everyone. But look, the tricky thing for her is that Collins, uh, she's got massive firepower. And I think even though Ash leads the head-to-head 3-1, if anyone saw that semi-final that Danielle Collins played against Swiatek, she demolished Swiatek. And I think that's, that could be a problem for Ash because Collins is streaky. Like, she can rip off five games worth of winners, but then she can hit three games worth of errors. Like, you never know exactly what you're going to get. And to be honest, Collins is playing with house money. Like, no one expected her to get to this point. She's going to walk away with a million and a half dollars regardless. All the pressure is going to be on Ash. But I think if Ash serves well, she should be okay. But... If she ends up hitting a lot of second serves, uh, Collins is going to vaporise that second serve and that that could be a problem uh, for Barty. But look, she's done amazingly well these these two weeks and to make a home uh, Grand Slam final is is an achievement, but she's, she's she's going to want one more really good match.
Hey, I think I saw in the Daily Telegraph today, Ash Barty's earning around about, well, over $100,000 per hour or around about $2,000 per minute. That's how quick some of her games have been this week. You know, a really good trivia question. Who was the last Aussie woman to win the Australian Open final? I'll answer it for you, uh, and you might be able to elaborate here, David. Chris O'Neill. So the year was 1978, and Chris O'Neill born just up the road in Newcastle. You know what? It's incredible. Like, when you think about it, it, that it has actually taken this long. I know Wendy Turnbull made a final uh, in the early 80s. And, look, we've had, obviously, a lot of good players the last couple of decades. I mean, we've had, you know, Alicia Mollick and Sam Stozer. And, uh, you know, there's been a lot of potentially Aussie players that could have made a run. Uh, obviously, Ash, the last few years. But as I said before, if you make a final in a slam, it's it's an amazing achievement. But to do it at home actually adds another layer of pressure. And I think that's the that's the big part of it. You can do well at Roland Garros. You can win Wimbledon. You can do well at the US Open. But to actually do it on home soil in front of your own countrymen and family and friends and the media attention, because that, that's ramped up as well when you're at home obviously but but if anyone can do it I think Ash can yeah you know I I'm ashamed to admit I don't remember Chris O'Neill but I do remember her opponent she beat Betsy Nagelson on the grass uh, Betsy from the USA 6-3-7-6 in the tiebreaker it was 7-3 how about you Guru you remember those days I definitely remember Wendy Turnbull yeah I do actually remember Chris O'Neill believe it or not I actually do remember I used to I think when, what year was it again? So 44 years ago. 78. 78. So it would have been around 12, 13 years ago. So all of a sudden, yeah, I do do actually remember sitting up and watching the, the it used to be the big thing in Australia. It was on the grass. It was it was yeah, really the old-fashioned tennis. It was, um, you know, the serve volley. It was, it was good. I do remember actually winning that, yeah. Right. Hey, uh, we're about to go back to David Hall, Paralympic gold medalist in wheelchair tennis. But first, let's roll in some audio of Medvedev, who's teed off at the chair umpire last night at the Australian Open. That is incredible audio. Absolutely incredible. I mean, if he smashed a racket, it's uh, taken us back to the 1970s and John McEnroe. Yeah, look, that's that's amazing audio. I've got to admit, I just... Yeah, it's just hard to, to fathom how, how that gets accepted. Like, and the umpire just didn't accept it. He just sat there and it was just... He's not coaching, he's not coaching, but you know, he just kept going and going yeah. and going. And um, it was... You know, yeah, I just, I just found it. Well, it was hard to watch, to be honest. Well, I told you uh, before we came on the air about my son playing in the National League water polo. He had three teammates red carded during the week in a match, and some of it was for dissent against the officials. Now, 
that's the highest level of the sport, the Australian Open, and it's a semi-final, and you're allowed to carry on like that. Uh, just, it's a really bad look. But let's go to the expert, David Hall. David, what were your thoughts last night? And, I mean, Gary, you can sympathise in a way about this whole coaching from the stands, but, David, you're the expert. How did you see it? I think it's just it's pressure. And I think there are players, you could say Murray, like he will yell at his box. Uh, players will yell at the umpire, like what Medvedev uh, did last night. I think players will bottle it and they'll deal with it internally and, and they won't say boo, like Ash Barty or Federer. Uh, but at some point, that pressure just gets released. And I think in the heat of a Grand Slam semi, that Medvedev just, his gasket just blew. And yeah, you're right. Like I haven't, I haven't seen anything like that since Johnny Mack uh, back in the 80s. And like a player will get angry at an umpire, but it'll last, you know, 10, 20 seconds. Uh, that was like, that was like two minutes of, of just frustration, pressure. Uh, and he obviously thought Tsitsipas was getting coached uh, by his father. I mean, and that's a whole other issue. And I think, you know, the Greek player, he has had issues with that in the past about getting uh, warnings for illegal coaching. And I think Medvedev was just set up. He got, he got a warning from the, from the umpire for uh, audible obscenity. And I think that snapped him. And that being in that pressure moment of a Grand Slam semi, you know, knowing that he's, he's a few good sets away from being in the final. And I think it just, it's like a, a boulder rolling downhill. It just gathers momentum. And when he started, he just couldn't stop. And yeah, you're right. Look, the average sports fan looks at that on the TV and thinks, how, how does he get away with that? But look, in tennis, you will get away with a lot. And it's only afterwards that the ATP or the Grand Slam committee will come down on you later on. Like, you might get a fine after the tournament or whatever it is. I mean, even there could be a suspension uh, down the track. But, yeah, that was... I mean, it was riveting to watch. But, yeah, for an average sports fan, it's it's hard to fathom. Yeah, David, it, it raises a bit of a question, doesn't it? It's, it's something that, that has been written about and spoken about uh, in recent times, and that is around coaching. And, and should it be permitted? Is, is that something that you, you can see moving forward, that the coaching will become part of tennis? Oh, look, I mean, I just, I think tennis is one-on-one. And I think that's the beauty of tennis. I've always said that it's like a battle. And, you know, we've talked about it before, Steve, like, you know, boxing, like you get in a ring and it's it's like one-on-one. And I think that's the beauty of tennis, that you have to work it out. You have to figure it out. Like you might lose the first set. You might go down two sets. But it's up to you to work out. How am I going to get out of this match? How am I going to turn things around? And I think if you bring in coaching, which I think the WTA, uh, the women's tour has done, a coach can come on the court at the end of a set and, and you get a little coaching session. Uh, but I think, yeah, I just, I think they should leave it as is. I just like that, that one-on-one battle. And look, Davis Cup, Fed Cup, you've got the team captain coach on, on the side of the court and they can help out the players. But yeah, I just, I just think... And, and look, it is hard to police when you've got someone in the stands speaking their native tongue to the player. 
does the umpire know what they're saying? Can the umpire hear it over the noise of the crowd? You know, it is a bit of a bag of snakes. You never exactly know who's getting coached and what they're saying. But I just like the fact that tennis is one-on-one uh, without any, any on-court coaching. Yeah, well, tomorrow night, Rafael Nadal. Can you believe he's got a chance to surpass both Roger Federer and Novak Djokovic? with Grand Slam number 21, and 13 of those have come on the clay at Roland Garros. You know, it's been a pleasure to watch his career. Uh, we've lived in an era where I never thought, you know, after watching Beyond Borg, uh, Jimmy Connors, those kind of players, uh, Boom Boom Becker, uh, you know, we saw Pete Sampras, the great Pete Sampras, and now we've got these three guys that are just unbelievable. That's the other thing, David, is this has been a tournament without Djokovic, but we've unearthed a couple of Italians that have reached the pointy end. There's two Canadians. So, you know, there's some countries that have really raised their hand that they could be top five or top ten players for years to come. Yeah, that's right, Steve. And look, tennis is the world game. I think they've done a great job the last few decades of, of trying to bring tennis to different countries uh, that wouldn't traditionally be a tennis power. But look, I think for, for Rafa, as soon as Novak was deported before the tournament, I think that to Rafa was like chum in the water. Like he smelt blood. And he was like, this is my golden chance to get 21 slams. This is my best chance to win another Australian Open to get to that, that magical 21 number and, and to get one ahead of, of Novak and, and Roger. And, and you've got to say, look, he's going to go into this as the favourite, into this final against Medvedev. He, he leads the head-to-head 3-1. Like, a lot of those matches have been close. They've gone the distance, but... You know, it's funny, I always think of Rafa as like the raging bull uh, that just muscles his way around the core. And he's like that, you know, that mafia, like in the movies when the mafia sends, (laughs) you know, the the heavy around to to, to pick up the collection money from from the businesses. Like that's Rafa. Yeah, Yeah, he's the standover guy. And he's going to try and stand over Medvedev and dominate those rallies. And I'm telling you, if Medvedev doesn't, keep his calm and run like the wind for five sets, then, then this will be, this will be Rafa's match to lose. I, t- I tell you, Medvedev will blow up. There's no doubt about that, particularly with the amount of time that Nadal takes between points, because he's got that, you know, he moves the headband around. Uh, everything he does is meticulous, but he takes forever. Uh, and he has been known to take some breaks during the match, so I reckon Medvedev could absolutely blow it. Hey, give us your prediction. So tonight, Ash Barty uh, in straight sets, hopefully? Oh, yes, I would love it in straight sets. I think it'll be biting fingernails time if it actually does go to three. But look, I think Collins will get hot. She'll get streaky for a set, so she might win a set, but I think Ash, Ash will win in three. As for the men... Look, it is hard to go past Rafa. He's, he hasn't spent a lot of time on court, but, you know, well, his body is 10 years older than Medvedev. So if this actually goes four sets, five sets, and the rallies are brutal, I, like, I could see Medvedev winning, but if I'm going to tip anyone, uh, and if I actually do put some money down, I would say Rafa to win. Yeah, beautiful, beautiful. Oh, what about the doubles? Oh, look, you know what? I would love to see Purcell 
and ebbs and wins. Like, look, <laughs> I understand. I understand the crowds. I understand the boy bandish of Kokonakis and Curios. Like, get the popularity, but man, I'm I'm for the battler. Like, I'm for the working man that just yeah gets yeah. it done with a minimum of fuss. And I think, and this is this is the thing for these guys that they're really very good players in doubles and that success can propel them in singles and i think that'd be like that that'd be like really fantastic as well yeah beautiful stuff uh we're very very late for the news uh we're getting the wind up from our producer adam staples so we we rise as one it's another standing ovation for david hall and guru now you can see why i've been moving a motion for central coast council for a statue of david at Bunty Boy. Yeah, look, the, his record is unbelievable. That is just an amazing one. Just one thing, Dave, before we finish, Dylan Alcott finished his remarkable tennis career uh, during the week. Of course, he finishing runner-up. But what a great uh, what a great career he has and a great ambassador he's been for the sport. Yeah, that's right. Look, he is in the quad division, which is very different from main draw, uh, where the vast majority of the wheelchair players play. But look, I just want to mention, just real quick, Shingo Kuneida who won the men's singles, number one in the world, has dominated wheelchair tennis for for 15 years. Problem is, Tennis Australia puts his final against Alfie Hewitt from Great Britain out on court eight, out near the tram tracks. And I think if you're going to showcase wheelchair tennis at the slams, you've got to put the men's final, the women's final, and the quad final on show courts. If you're going to showcase the best of what a sport is, then I think you've got to do it the right way. Yeah, well said. Well said, and let's hope that filters back to the highest level. Thanks again, David. We'll talk soon. Good on you, boys. The great David Hall.